At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Donald's. The greatest flavors unite in all-new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. This is Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. <laughs> a farm-to-table root dinner? Root dinner, yes. What is a farm-to-table root dinner? Okay, well, let's tell, tell, everybody, tell everybody about where you are and what a farm-to-table root dinner is. Well, um, you know, Portland and Laguna are back-to-back, both on the West Coast. If you know geography, I don't need to tell you that. Going back to Indy... It's kind of a waste of time. Um, so James, Becky, Kelly, and I had a wonderful trip planned on, you know, the California coast. Um, and then Becky uh, went and ruined it because um, she got a job. So uh, here we are. Um, James is by himself, and Kelly and I decided to go to Utah. And we're in the mountains um, having a grand old time. And we're going to a dinner tonight that is in a garden, and it focuses solely on root vegetables. It's like a four-course dinner in a field with, I assume, a lot of carrots, parsnips, radishes. Um, I don't know any Is other there root any vegetables, meat but I will, or... I will the night. I don't know. I don't huh. know. That sounds like literally my nightmare. No, the food here is <laughs> a d- bananas. <laughs> yeah, I know, but it's still Tim's nightmare. It's, it's just, it's a dinner of stray vegetables <laughs> and he's not, he's not here for that. <laughs> yeah, that sounds terrible. <laughs> It I'm sounds been, wonderful. Fun. It looks good on you, though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm very excited. So I saw uh, via Instagram that you were also uh, you were riding horses today and maybe shooting guns. Skeet shooting, yeah. Skeet shooting, riding horses. We're going to make pasta tomorrow. Um, we're going to go to our dog breeder, uh, which is in the Salt Lake area, um, and go oh, yeah. hang out with some puppies. Um, this is Kelly's kind of birthday trip. So kind of whatever she wants to do is what we're doing. So here we are. And she wanted to go skeet shooting. It's Kelly's birthday trip. So, you know, where we are is where she wanted to go. And what we're doing is kind of what, you know, I I wanted to do. (laughs) There it is. And what's available in the area. She had a, she did, she had an awesome time. So we've been skeet shooting once before in Colorado. Um, and she was great. She did very, very well. She hit a ton of clays. So based on her Instagram story that I saw, yeah, she has deadly accuracy. Don't, I guess moral of the story (laughs) is do not piss her off. Yeah. 
<laughs> Too late. <clears throat> Anyways, um, <laughs> let's talk about racing. Yeah, James. Wait, are you at Monterey, James? Or are you just at the track oh. already hanging out? Yeah, it's a, that's yeah, a very just... interesting piece of art. I like it. It's not I even a, it's I like, like a, I like, it's like metal. It's like printed on metal. That's what I do with my astronomy pictures. Um, no, so I, I am in Carmel. I'm in Carmel by the sea. And uh, it's a wonderful little place that Clint Eastwood used to be the mayor of. Maybe he still is. I don't know. He's still alive, right? Probably not. He's still alive, but he's like 140, so probably not. Yeah, I would I would assume he's not really in charge anymore. But there's uh, it's just a beautiful little town, and Becky and I love it here. So she's going to come out tomorrow. She She's filming literally as we record. She is on set filming. And uh, she wraps that shoot today and then is going to fly out to Monterey tomorrow. And then she's here for the duration of the weekend. And then after the weekend, we're somewhat making up for Becky ruining the trip with work by doing a day of wine tours with Alex and Kelly and a few other people. Which would be a oh, blast of fun. Interesting, but I didn't get an invite on that. Well, it's, we were invited. It was not our trip, so <laughs> still don't love yeah. it. We also it's don't. Not, you, I mean, Joan and Larry are coming. I mean, but. yeah, yeah, Joan and Larry will be there. Um, <laughs> They're the ones that invited you. <laughs> yeah, correct. Your mom and stepdad invited us. Uh, weirdly, they forgot you were going to be there, so they did not mention it. Uh, they thought you were in India this week. So yeah. what are you going to do? <laughs> Tough break. Yeah. Tough break. Um, but, yeah, so that's, that's, that's current situations. Uh, but, yes, Alex, uh, let's talk racing. Let's go back in time to beautiful Portland International Raceway and uh, tell us about your weekend, bud. I love how you're eating green grapes as if you're some <laughs> like, <laughs> like Greek god. There's an assistant just fanning him right yes. off. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah, I can if see, I was a great I can, god, these I can see, grapes would I can be see his fed hair. to me. I can see his hair flutter in the wind. Yeah. <laughs> um, That's the thing. When, when you need a spritz break. Um, I need my well, Evian okay. spritz, thank you very much. Portland International Raceway. Um, yeah, I mean, it was... Here's the thing. I'm a little disappointed. I was a little disappointed in the fan turnout. Um, After you Port- had so many nice things to say about Portland. <laughs> <laughs> the people that already live there, that didn't, that didn't affect anything. A um, little disappointed in that. I thought the event as a whole was um, fine. I thought the race was seemingly okay. You know, it was the first time that we've gotten through turn one. Um, and honestly, it's because James Hinchcliffe wasn't there. So it seems because James Hinchcliffe <laughs> has never gotten through turn one. And no, I just attracted. Yeah. Uh, just for the yeah. record, I want the record to show that I was hit in all of those events. <laughs> it was, I yes, was targeted right. yes. in those events. Were, but for like some reason, the mag- crash magnet, yes, was not there. So that was actually great. Um, so yeah, so because James, the, the crash, the crash magnet wasn't there. Um, we got to turn one, um, you know, we talked about it last week going into this weekend. It was going to be a pretty critical race in terms of, 
um, you know, staying in the championship hunt. Team Penske was dominant all weekend in essentially every session, um, which was a little little discouraging. And, and honestly, it became, you know, very quickly for us a, a fight for for fourth, you know, and, and honestly finishing fourth or maybe finishing third would have been kind of a win. Um, we knew that the ultimate pace was, was probably going to be out of reach for us for the weekend, which is never a, a great feeling. But what was interesting was the car was the car was good all weekend. It just never had um, no one had the, the Penske pace or, or performance, it seemed. So, um, you know, we we kind of went through the weekend and we're in the top five roughly every session, um, qualified ninth, had a good race going. Um, and the team did a great job. Everything was good. I mean, it was a smooth day. Uh, we I, I kind of chose the wrong side of Joseph on, on the final restart or really the only restart there and, and lost a couple of spots. But, um, you know, I think it was a, a very positive day leading into the last race of the year and, and my last race um, with an organization I've driven for for seven years. So it's a it's kind of a weird experience kind of ending a weekend and then starting to brief a weekend that you know is going to be the last with, with a group of people that is kind of all you know in IndyCar. All right, so let's we'll we'll jump back to the to the Portland race as a whole. But since you brought it up, let's jump forward to Laguna in that sense. You know, let's talk about the race itself later. But how does it feel, Alex Rossi, knowing that you're going into a race? I mean, through your entire career, when you're when you're a young driver coming up, you change teams all the time because you're changing series and you're moving up and whatever. Uh, you know, you've you've been now with Andretti Autosport since 2016, and that that time that era, at least for now, is coming to an end. So, you know, your first time being with a team for this long, and then uh, knowing you've got one race left together, how's it feel? What, what's the emotion going into Laguna? Um, I mean, bittersweet, right? You know, you're excited for new new horizons. There's always that kind of when something new is coming, it's like that first day of school feeling. So you kind of have that kind of excitement of, of that unknown, I guess. But also it's 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 sad because, you know, a lot of these people, I know them and their families and, and them on a personal level, not just a professional level. So you're going to you're going to miss familiar faces. And, and a lot of these guys, um, you know, have been through through a lot of highs and lows. Um, you know, that's everyone from the truck drivers to the marketing team to hospitality to engineering and all the way up to, to Michael and JF and Rob. So um, it, it's going to be a, a kind of a sad day on Sunday, I think, in a lot of respects. But also, um, you know, we've I think we've managed a year where you, when when both parties know you're kind of out the door, um, you know, I think we've we've managed to have kind of our most successful year in a lot of respects in three years. So I think that's a testament to, to the effort and just the commitment to to success and winning that, that we all have that we've been able to kind of pull that off. So um, nothing but but happiness and, and good thoughts going into Laguna and we'll see what we got. We've been we've been pretty good there in the past. Yeah, no doubt. Obviously last year uh, qualifying went particularly well uh, on your side of things. Race got off to a rocky start, but we know the pace is there. Uh, so let's okay, so let's backtrack to uh, to Portland. Um, you know, you talked about the Penske dominance. You guys tested the week before the race as did Penske Penske chose to test there because last year that wasn't necessarily as strong a track for them as Laguna was and everybody had sort of one test day left so it was an interesting split of strategies because Ganassi you know started on pole and won the race last year there with Alex Pelot 
they decided we're good at Portland. We're going to go test at Laguna. Conversely, Penske said, hey, we got waxed by Ganassi and Andretti last year at Portland. We're going to go test at Portland. You guys were there with them. I gather the day started off fairly well for you guys, but by the end, it was was it already clear that coming into the race weekend, Penske was going to be incredibly tough? It was. It was kind of... <clears throat> Lunch was, was a sad time for us because when we rolled off the truck, it was me and Colton, four tenths clear of Penske cars, and we took last year's qualifying setup, and everything was, was great. And then, you know, in typical Penske fashion, it's what them and Ganassi, I think in particular, are so good at, is addressing weaknesses and then being able to resolve them. Sometimes it's not on, on that weekend, right? But for sure... It's very rare to see them struggle. I think Indianapolis for Penske is a little bit of an outlier, but it's weird. You rarely see them struggle at a place two years in a row. Right. If you see them struggle through an entire weekend. So my point is, you know, we, we started off way stronger than them in the test. By the last kind of new tire run before lunch, they were with us. And we were all kind of like, well, we don't really have much forward trajectory to go from here. So I hope that's kind of you know, what they've got. And, you know, Colton and I were laughing and we're like, well, it was pretty naive to think it'd be that easy type of thing. And then by the end of the day, they, you know, had a three-tenth gap on us. Um, So we we were a little concerned going into the weekend. And I I guess rightly so. You know, they qualified one, two, three. Um, Joseph didn't start there because he had his engine penalty, but I think they led every single practice session. Um, So it was kind of that three-tenth gap that we had to them in testing just, carried on through throughout the whole weekend yeah it was it was pretty wild to see in some of the practice sessions like they three of them would kind of be within a tenth but then fourth place would be two to three tenths behind them and that's like that's unheard of in indycar at the moment and i mean you look at the season stats you know that was their ninth one of the season i think yeah ninth one of the season out of 16 races clearly they're doing something right over there did you guys during the test or during the race weekend? So, like, I know they've got a system where, you know, you've obviously got the timing and scoring data where the track's broken up into several, like, probably 10 to 12 different sectors. And then there's also some video data where you can overlay, you know, your car versus any other car sort of thing. Was it a was it one part of the track where they were kind of dominant or was it just a little bit everywhere no it was it was everywhere i mean it was probably four or five hundreds in every corner um the corners where we were more comfortable maybe it was a little closer maybe it was only a couple hundreds the corners where our balance we weren't as happy with it was maybe that seven eight nine hundreds type of thing um but no i mean there wasn't a single section of the racetrack that we were faster and that just kind of is further evidence that they were they were just had it sorted out for the weekend yeah yeah all right so we'll get into the race you know you say they qualified one two three joseph had an engine penalty had to start eighth uh as a result of a sixth place grid penalty and qualifying second behind scott uh huge props to scotty mack for getting the getting the pull done both joseph and will claimed they had laps going that would have been good enough but made small mistakes or whatever and hey that's that's how that's how it goes. It's the driver that gets it done, right? So uh, credit to Scott for that. Um, were you surprised at the whole group that there wasn't a yellow in turn one, or were you confident because the series adjusted the start right very consciously to yeah. try to help that? No, I mean I I kind of liken it to roulette, right? 
if you've had for the past six rolls, you know, red has come up six times. There's a 100% chance. Math and odds would say, well, there's a higher chance that red's going to come up again, right? Similar to the past Is that four how starts. That works? Yes. No? I don't think so. No, I think once you've had six in a row, the odds are probably favoring it going the other way, but I see what you're saying. Okay. If you go off historical data, you're going to say that yes. red is going to happen again. Okay. If you, go off, if you go off historical data to start, you're going to say a crash at the start in Portland is going to happen again. I guess you're right. The odds would say it's probably due at this point to go green. It's probably due at this point to land on black. So, yes, you historically think there's going to be a caution at the start, but you're like, at one point, it's going to go green all the way through and i guess this year it did again because james wasn't there so you can never <laughs> come welcome. back to portland you're yes. welcome they you even had come back me anytime just don't do portland they had me standing down in turn one with a headset and a microphone for the start of the race to catch the chaos and the mayhem and then you idiots go ahead and actually do a good job and don't hit anybody and makes for terrible it did not look safe where you were there's no way it was safe, but I got to tell you, it was the coolest thing that I've done in a long time. This is actually a fun little side. <laughs> okay, so in practice two, I went down there to like make sure the headset and everything worked because they, they did it last year. They, they put PT down in turn one for the start. They want to do it again this year. So we, pr- we tried it out in practice and they were basically like, hey, look, put the headset on, go down to turn one. We'll just do one hit, make sure everything looks and feels okay. And then you can take the rest of the session off. I was like, all right. So I went down there, and look, I've been around IndyCar racing for a fair amount of time. And standing there in turn, like, turn one's, I mean, it's it's not what I would qualify a quick corner. It's like a, it's a quick, slow corner. Turn two is just a slow, slow corner. Yeah. So it, it is by no means a corner where you should be impressed with the overall performance of an Indy car necessarily. Inside the car, like turn two is one of the most frustratingly slow feeling and kind of crappy corners that we have all year. Standing at the apex of turn one, like, I, I mean, I was, I was three feet maybe away from the cars rolling across the apex of turn one. It brought me back to being a kid and being, you know, eight years old at the Honda Indy Toronto glued against the fence at whatever corner I could get closest to the cars and just watch them go by and being so floored at how cool Indy cars are on a racetrack. It was like I literally was transported back to being a kid. And like, I mean, it's not even an impressive corner. But just standing there and watching these things come hustling in, hit the brakes through two, like two seemed fast to me standing there. But inside the car, it feels so painfully slow. It was just incredible, man. It was, I stayed there the entire session. I stayed there for 45 minutes watching cars go by because I just, I couldn't leave. It was such a cool perspective. And I like, I left there wanting to call, you know, Green Savory who promote the race and be like, build a, build a platform in the inside of turn one and like charge fans 10 bucks to go watch for 10 minutes kind of thing. And just let people roll through there because it was so cool, man, because it's, it's close enough that you almost feel like a little more connected to the driver. Like you appreciate so much more that there's a human being sitting in the middle of that car, making it do the things it's doing. 
And it's, it was wildly awesome. It was so, so, so cool. And you could see the difference in who was handling well and who wasn't and what their balance was. And I did make the joke that like, you could have painted all the cars white and given them sequential numbers and I would have pointed out the three the three Penske cars. I'm like, those are going to be the three fastest cars. They looked visibly fast. Like their cars were so good in that section. But yeah, it was just it was such a cool perspective. I just had to throw that out there because I had an absolute blast being there. Um, so the race was fairly straightforward until the yellow flag. The kind of the. The big issue was just the the primaries seemed to be a difficult tire to do a stint on, uh, and so it was sort of how and when you you got your primaries in. How did you find them? Yeah, I mean it was very clear right away that it was going to be Indy GP just in Portland in terms of the strategy and, and the tire choice. Um, is it the same tire? It is. Yes. Right. Yep. Um, so that that makes sense. Those things don't always come out. They do not, as, no, it's as, not always that linear. As, yeah, <laughs> it's not logical, especially with Firestone. Sometimes, so no, it was it was clear. The strategy was straightforward. Um, you know, there's always a concern of of kind of getting burned by a yellow. I think the one interesting thing this year that happened is there was always used to be a two and a three stop in play. The two stop came in play because there was always this very lengthy yellow at the start, and it was still very hard to make work. And it never really was successful, but some guys had some decent results kind of doing it. Um, Jack Harvey comes to mind last year, started 20th, finished fifth or fourth or something like that. So it, it can move you up. It's never really won the race, but it can move you up. For whatever reason this year, and I guess it comes down to the tire, even though the tire in theory was harder, the fuel mileage was way worse. Um, and we were, I mean, it was a second, almost a second faster in qualifying than it was in the race. So just the, the amount of throttle that you were carrying throughout the lap was higher, fuel burn was higher. So it became very clear that because of that, even with a, a probable yellow at the start, you know, a two-stop wasn't the way to go. So everyone kind of had in the mind that it was going to be a three-stop race. Um, Which and is then, usually yeah, the game, more fun, right? Like that's, that's, that's a nice mindset to be in as a driver because you're going in there knowing you're not going to be from lap two trying to hit some stupid fuel number and you're going to be hustling the whole time. It is. It's more enjoyable. But I think it's also interesting, you know, to, to have two strategies. You know, I think Barber is very yeah. interesting in a lot of respects because it's, it's a two-stop or a three-stop race. And you never quite know how it's going to work out. I still think that there's a good element of having that in the series. It doesn't have to be every race, but I don't think a race should be always clear cut one one option, right? For I think sure. there should be this this outside possibility that if these things line up, then that strategy is going to be the way to go. Regardless, um, it, it then became about how long are you going to risk being on the black tire, um, the primary tire, and. For us, it was it was a clear decision to start on them. That way, you know, if there was a yellow, if if there was a scenario, it opened up your options of being able to get off that tire and run reds for the rest of the day. So um, that's kind of the approach that Colton and I took, and and it, and it worked well for us. Um, the front runners, it's always difficult, you know, if you start on the front row to start on on the primary, just because you know you're at a grip deficit at the start and you don't want to give up track position. But um, yeah, I mean, they had such a 
pace advantage that they could have put the, the, the primary tire on really whenever they wanted, and it, and it wouldn't have been a huge issue. Yeah, but you're, then you're racing each other at that point, right? So it's not right. like it's not like one of them could have done it at the start, and it would have been fine, then you'd lose out to your teammates who are in equal, equal equipment. Um, right. It was funny, at one point in the first stint, Will, who started on Reds, uh, came on the radio, and he was like, I think the blacks are better. And... Like in the booth, we're kind of looking at each other, being like, "There is absolutely no empirical evidence that would show that that is the case." I don't know what he. And obviously, like you know what it's like, right? As a driver, you're kind of on an island. You know only what's happening in your world, and the team obviously can see globally what's happening. But it was funny because they didn't get on the radio and correct him. They just sort of said, "Well, copy that." I'm like that. No, you should tell them you're wrong on that one. Let's you keep, keep no, going no, with the reds. No, no. You're good. Get that yeah. out of your mind. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> Give up on that now. But it's funny because uh, the, um, the the other the other. What's funny, James? Besides your say, face. It's funny was Got the him. <laughs> zing was uh, the <laughs> fact that that same discussion is what essentially really hurt Joseph Newgarden's race. You know, he's like we said, he had that penalty. He didn't make a lot of progress on the start. He actually started on the primaries. He did roll the dice. You know, he was like you, started on the primaries, lost a couple spots in that first in, and was kind of slowly making him back as the race was progressing. But he didn't have as much confidence in the red tires and for him going to the last stint, he only had a set of U's left, right? He he had burned two sets of new you only had one set of or sorry yeah so he had one set of new he'd already used them so he'd used reds or 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 new blacks were his options and based on when people started coming in for that last stint he thought well it's it's more consistent over the over the stint so let's put the blacks on obviously without a crystal ball to know that there was going to be then a restart and you know he went from battling in the top five to getting pushed down almost outside the top 10 being on primaries on that restart and it just it was very clear at that point of of the race which one was the better tire right um i was surprised that that i mean cuz he was one of the he was the only car in the top 10 um that wasn't on on that tire and usually joseph historically he's the guy that has faith in the used reds in places where no one else really does so i i i don't know why that was the case maybe he had a flat spot on one of the sets from qualifying or something and that was the reason but um, yeah, I felt bad for him. Not really, but a little bit, knowing that he was a championship guy and that he just got eaten alive at the restart and finished nowhere. Um, but that's racing. Unaffected. That's how that goes. That's how that yeah. goes. Yeah. Ah, the sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 
21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. The legends are true. But overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Donald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. In a fast-paced world... Every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Uh, so, so McLaughlin wins the race, power second. Are you surprised there was no team orders there? So Scott mathematically is still in it, but he's 41 points, I want to say, out of first at Laguna. That's a tall order on a, on a weekend where 54 points is the maximum, and I think you get like five even for just starting the race. So it's, it's a tall order. Will leaves Portland with a 20-point gap over both Joseph and Dixon who yeah well actually yeah hold on let's before you get to the points Scott Dixon so Scott Dixon did Scott Dixon things this weekend again qualified 16 somehow and I say that because like that team's had good pace there they sort of struggled all weekend it's qualified 16th for some reason and then ended up on the podium because he is Scott MFing Dixon how wow. much of that is that he's Scott Dixon versus having another set of reds because he didn't advance to the second round. That is that is a very, very good point, Tim. Um, it Most of it's because he's Scott Dixon, Got but it. Scott Dixon was most certainly aided by that. <laughs> right. I mean, I've seen I've seen it happen before. I mean, Bourdais in mid-Ohio two, three years ago when he crashed, he had an extra set of reds. He drove through everyone. Bourdais Joseph at, at Barber uh, two or three CP. years ago drove through everyone. One, um, you're welcome, Sebastian. Sorry, Rob. Uh, kind of. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's it does help you if you're a fast car that's out of position and you can utilize those. Obviously, Dalton Kellett, no offense, he's not going to get a benefit out of that extra set of reds because the ultimate pace isn't necessarily there. But if there's a car that has a problem or whatever and they do start back there, um, it'll 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 certainly be a, a good strategy hand that they have to play. However, Scott. Scott was like in ninth, 30 laps in. So it wasn't, he didn't even have his advantage of his new reds that he was using yet. Like he was three or three cars behind me very early on. Um, so that's just Scott doing Scott things. So yeah. Good for him. And so he's, he's got right. himself very much. Yeah. He's got a future in this, man. Let's, uh, let's not count Scott Dixon out of a career in IndyCar. So yeah. So 20 point gap, uh, Joseph in, in, uh, Scott or Tide, but yeah, are you surprised that Penske didn't make the decision to swap Scott and Will at the end? Because that would have been, you know, a ten-point gain for Will, and now all of a sudden it's a thirty-point deficit in the championship. Or is their mindset 
well, hey, one of the two guys that's right behind him is also a Penske car, so let's not rob one of our drivers of a victory for the sake of almost favoring one of the other team guys. Is that a difficult decision, do you think, for the Penske guys to make? Or do you think it was pretty easy? Scott deserves this win. He's still mathematically in it. He gets to keep it. And that's just it. I mean, you talk about how 41 points is a big deficit to overcome. I mean, 49 or 50, 50, whatever that difference is, would have been even harder, right? So they're they're keeping exactly as you said. They don't. You can't favor Will over Joseph, right? And you want to keep your other guy in a closer range just in case. Like so. I, I mean, I think that's a, a fairly easy decision. Um, you know, had it been something, it would be interesting to see if it was something where, you know, Will had led most of the race and got burned by a yellow and came back through and was behind Scott type of thing. But Scott was on pole. He led 100-and-something laps. He controlled the whole race. That was his win. Um, so I, I would imagine that was a pretty pretty simple decision for him. Yeah, man, McLaughlin starting up front is a very dangerous thing for everybody. The guy is pretty unflappable when he when he qualifies up there. McLaughlin, in general, is starting to get annoying. Like, I like him a lot. He's a good, <laughs> good dude, but, like, he's starting to get a little too quick. Yeah. Like, if you can go out on a natural road course and beat Will to pull, like, pretty handily, like, that's that's pretty good. And, and then... It's terrifying for the rest and, of us. And hold off 110 laps worth of pressure because he was right there the whole time and, and controlled, just controlled it beautifully, I thought. Um... Honorable mention, I got to just give a shout out to Christian Lingard. Great qualifying effort, qualified fourth, started third because of Joseph's penalty, was running up there. I was having a great day and then wasn't after, yeah, there was a stall in pit lane and then had to run through one of those barriers and turn one and just, you know, it should have been a very solid event for him, uh, a result for him, I should say. It was a solid event for him. That one was kind of a kick in the pants. Um but also keeps the rookie battle insanely close going to Laguna as well, I think, because he was 11 points ahead of David Malukas going in and uh, to Portland. I don't even know what the difference is now, but it's it's because David didn't have a great race himself. I don't know the details as to why. Um, but if he, you know, if, if Christian had finished in the top five or something, it would have been a lot harder. So we have a big mountain to climb, right? We have two very tight championship battles going into the last race. Okay. Before we talk about anything else, um, last point on Portland, I've got some friends there now. They're new friends. People I met last year, they become huge fans of the show. Um, they, they wanted to give us something that they made and uh, in lieu of the off track drinking game, three of the (laughs) shot glasses were made of Tim's frozen face from one of the episodes. So, Linda and Jim, thank you for these. We can't wait to play the off-track drinking game with our new shot glasses. Sunday night. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, Alex has got to go. I got to go eat vegetables. Goodbye. It does feel weird. So I was thinking about this. I was talking to Liz. Like, I started hanging out around IndyCar through Marco and then became friends with you and became friends with Alex. If this super license thing happens with Colton, I'm going to know nobody at Andretti anymore, like on the driver's side. It's going to be like uh, empty chairs and empty tables and lame is. Don't get me wrong. I'm still going to come to hospitality, but it's just <laughs> like I'm going to have to sneak in. <laughs> yeah, I got bad news for you, bud. You're not uh, 
You're not very conspicuous or inconspicuous. I don't think I'm going to be say. welcome anymore. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I don't think it's, it's not that you're going to be weird. unwelcome. It's just they're going to know you're there. So, like, I wouldn't, I would more, I would go yeah. the other route. I would actually make, like, a public thing about it and, like, show how tight you are with everybody there on your way in. So that way we're like, oh, we can't kick this guy out. He's been our friend forever. I got, like, four days to become real good friends with Devlin. <laughs> <laughs> Michael never, never met the guy But we gotta become best friends by Sunday Michael if you're listening Just send Tim an invoice <laughs> preemptively For like call it five to six Races now for 23 And then he, we can add to that As needed <laughs> So uh, last race <laughs> of the season the budget right <laughs> uh, <clears throat> No sure doesn't Sure, Sure does not I don't think off uh, track requires you to be wined and dined at Andretti Autosport Hospitality. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, so last race of the season, Alex has had to step away, ladies and gentlemen. He had uh, some vegetable roots to eat or root vegetables, whatever it is. I don't know. That's the dumbest excuse I've ever heard. <laughs> it sounds like a cool thing that they're doing. I, I endorse it. Um, so, Tim, I'm going to do something that I rarely ever do on this show. Uh, and I'm going to ask for your opinion on something. We're going into the last race of the season. Right. You know the championship setup. Uh, yep. What are your predictions going into Laguna Seca? Oh, I think it'll be. I think Will will get it. Why? I don't know. It's. I. I just. He feels like he's he's due for it. I know he's already won championships before. He's coming in what twenty points up. I think he's going to hold it off. I think he's going to probably win it from pole and just be Will. Win it from pole. Okay. Let's see. That's even cooler because if that's what happens, you know, obviously, like we member of the media, I'm not allowed to play favorites or have opinions on this. Uh, it would be super cool if Will won it because I'm with you. I think he deserves another championship. He came so close to so many he before would, he, he finally got his first Mario's record. But yes, qualifying on pole would be pretty cool because he would then uh, individually hold number one at uh, at the top of the all-time qualifying pole list thing that is currently tied with Mario. So that would be pretty cool to do that and win the championship in the same season. Uh and if Do I'm wrong, have, I got a nice new shot glass to take a shot with. That's that's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> Do you uh, have <clears throat> any thoughts or feelings about the fact that <clears throat> and there's no wrong answer? Let's say Will doesn't win the race, but he wins the championship. Yeah. And, and let's say Joseph doesn't win the race. Uh. What yeah, are your if thoughts Will on gets a guy? Third, he automatically wins, right? Correct. But let's say let's yeah. say let's say Scott wins over Joseph over Will, and Will wins the championship. Mm-hmm. You'll have Will who won the championship on the back of one victory, where you have McLaughlin with three, Scott with two, Joseph with five. Do you have any yeah, prevailing see, I, I don't opinions even, I don't, about a guy winning five races and not winning the championship and the champion having one win? I don't mind it in that in that scenario because, as bad as this sounds, and I, I really like the guy, it's not Marcus. It, it wouldn't be Scott winning it based on the double points from the 500, right? He, he won right. it. He would win it from the overall finishes from the whole season so i don't know that that feels a little more proper to me so no i don't i don't think i'd mind it 
Yeah, Although I mean, if we want to talk about points, we can get into super license points. Really don't want to do that. <laughs> no. uh, well, yeah, I mean, look, that 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 point, I think, is is so widely already talked about and understood. You know, I mean, for those that don't know what we're talking about, Colin Herta has widely been touted lately as a potential uh, replacement for Pierre Gasly in the Alpha Tauri Formula One team. The big holdup being he does not have enough super license points. This is a system that the FIA came up with. To graduate up to F1, you have to have a certain number of points. You uh, are awarded points based on past results in various championships. <clears throat> now, the feeder series to Formula One is Formula Two, and below that, Formula Three, Formula Four. What's frustrating is that the points given out to Formula Two, which is still a feeder series, is actually greater than IndyCar. So even though Colin Herta yeah. has raced successfully for three, four years now, whatever it's been in IndyCar, a seven-time winner uh, at the ripe old age of 22 or whatever he is, they're claiming that his efforts there are less valuable than someone that finished third in the F2 championship. Now, I get it. It's political. They have their feeder series. They're obviously going to... Yeah. They're going to, you know, put preference on their championships that are governed by them and encourage people to have to go through their ladder system to get to F1. I get it. And I see that a lot of people have the argument, well, you shouldn't just change the rules because we have rules for a reason. If we change it for Colton, why have rules at all? I do understand that. I don't think it's so much that they should be changing. But the rule's stupid. Right. I, I don't think they should give Colton an exception for the points he's missing, I think they should retroactively change the rule and award points to people in IndyCar as they should. It should be held in the standard to yeah. which it's very obvious that the series is at. Anyway, going back to the Will Joseph points wins thing, uh, I'm also totally okay with it because, well, because that's the, the way the, the points system is... Yeah built the right system. and will made a, a conscious effort this year to not focus on trying to win every race it's just trying to be there as high as you can every race that consistency has been rewarded with leading the championship by 20 points going into the finale and when you think about it will lost championships many times having won four five six races in a year he won yeah. six races in 2011 and didn't win the championship so uh, he's been on the other end of that one. It's it's almost poetic justice if he wins one that way. I think. Either way, there's no there's no undeserving. I would also champion. love to hear his radio chatter after. <laughs> I think it'll be <laughs> relatively calm and very philosophical. There's this kind of new willpower this year, and it's been really fascinating to watch and listen <laughs> to. But uh, whether it's Will, whether it's Scott, whether it's Joseph, whether it's Marcus, whether it's other Scott, somehow. Um, I don't think you can say there's an undeserving champion, you know, going into the last race. There's uh, a lot of great drivers, a lot of great teams. It's been a blast of a season. I'm sad. I'm sad that it's coming to an end. Yeah. But uh, the uh, the fans are the big winners here. So on that note, uh, Thim and I are going to kindly sign off. Thank you guys for listening. And Alex, I know you're not here and you're never going to listen to this episode, but I'm going to say it anyway. Best of luck in Ever. Laguna. Uh, I hope that you have a tremendous event and a great send-off for what's been a stellar career at Andretti Autosport. Eight wins, an Indy 500, two top threes in the championship. I'm not going to sit here and list off all the stats because he doesn't care and he's not going to listen. 
But either way, it's uh, <laughs> end, end of an era, and it's sad to see, but excited for the next steps for Alex. And for now, we have one race to go, guys. So we will see you next week. We'll break down the crowning of our 2022 NTT IndyCar Series champion. And the crowd goes wild. But until then, make sure you tune in on NBC for the finale. And we'll see you guys next week. This has been Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. Off Track is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. And if you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts. We're at Ask Off Track on Twitter and Instagram. And if you want to follow us on Twitter, we're at Hinchtown and at Alexander Rossi. If you want to follow Tim, though I have no idea why you would, he's at the Tim Durham on Twitter. Find us on YouTube and subscribe to our channel for exclusive video content. The music you heard on this episode is by Ryan Dan of Holland Patton Public Library. You can find him online at hollandpattonpubliclibrary.com. Off Track is produced by Tim Durham, and by that, we mean fit. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. The legends are true. But overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last.